Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grew Up. On today's episode, it's my pleasure to welcome my friend and guest, Andrew Song. Hey Andrew, how are you? Good, how are you? Thank you for having me oh. here on 108. I don't know why it took 108 episodes, but I'm glad I'm, I'm glad to be here. No you're, no, you're absolutely right. I owe you an apology. It's very belated. Um, No, because, because, you know, your brother was episode number two on my podcast or three or something. You know what I think it is? I think it's because you knew I would, like, I'm always a go-to person. Like, if you needed somebody to fill in a spot, like I could, and you just haven't needed to fill in a spot. No, that is not true, Andrew. (laughs) Seems to be true. It seems 107 other people. Oh, my goodness. But You're so good. funny. I'm, I'm excited. It's like we mentioned before, it's just been awesome to kind of see, you know, the progression and, you know, hearing all the stories. And a lot of my friends, obviously, my wife was on it, my sister in law, right. my brother, you know, countless number of friends. And now I have the esteemed pleasure to kind of uh, to talk. But I realized, again, I, you know, I was a pastor for so many years. There's so many. So many pastors that you could have talked to before, and I get it. It's fine. Well, no, well, okay. Well, all that to say, I appreciate it, and your your um, comments are way, way too kind. But but um, yes, your entire family at this point has been on the podcast. Very true. This is very true. But all that to say, it's because your family is filled with extremely um, passionate and amazing people. And I've been so privileged to have them on to hear their stories and journeys. And now it's your turn. And yeah, okay. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I've been trying to interview pastors that aren't from the Atlanta area because I feel like, you know, my community of listeners that are from Atlanta, if they want to be a pastor, I'm like, go talk to your pastor. You don't need to hear them on a podcast. But all that to say, um, I'm excited to talk to you because I know things have been in transition for you. Yes, and a lot's been going on. And I, I want to hear the pastoral stuff too, if you don't mind. But I definitely want to get into the last like year of your life. Um, it's interesting because I think, you know, when I, when you were doing this podcast and when I, you know, was like, man, when can I get on this podcast? Yeah, right? like, stop. It's also one of those things where you can't just like reach out and be like, hey, can I be on your podcast? It feels very vain. No, it totally is. So you could have done that. I'm going to wait, you know, I'm going to wait to, you know, get the invite and officially do it. But, you know, it's it's interesting because the the theme, you know, when I grow up, um, truthfully for me, like from probably 17, like I felt like life was leading towards ministry and mm. and becoming a pastor. And a lot of that had to do with family upbringing and just the things that I feel like my mom like wanted and desired from me. So, Mm. I mean, there's a lot there that I hope we can get into, but uh, for the most part, you know, like you said, transition really in the past six months into a non-ministry role uh, for a variety of different reasons that, you know, I, you know, honestly still kind of processing through. Um, I feel like I was able to get to the best place possible to make a honest decision that, was, you know, I don't want to say it was life-changing per se, but at the moment, it definitely felt like the tectonic plates of my life were shifting, you know, and Mm. kind of disrupted a bunch of different things. But, you know, God still was very clear. And, you know, I felt very 
affirmed and humbled through the whole process. Um, and so really, you know, for, for your listeners, for me, I was a pastor for about nine years here in Atlanta mm -hmm. and really two and a half years before that in Chicago serving as, you know, your traditional youth ministry EM pastor. Um, and it was at the beginning of this year that I had transitioned out of that and started a new career kind of in corporate retail space that has become, you know, something very, you know, meaningful for me. I enjoy it. You know, I, I work for the PGA Tour Superstore in their home office, which is amazing because I, you know, our family not only is passionate about what they do, but we all love playing golf. So yes. it has become sort of this interesting marriage between career and hobbies, which, you know, I never thought would happen, you mm -hmm. know, and I don't think it happens for a lot of people per se, but you know, it's been, it's been quite the process in the past six months for sure. Um, man, I, okay. So before we get into yeah. the thick of it, cause I do have a lot of questions of and, um, you know, as someone that's in ministry currently too, yeah. um, that I know how much effort and investment and time it takes to, to do ministry. I think, I don't, I mean, I'm kind of being careful with my words here, but yeah, like, well, you yeah. know, and like yeah, yeah. see results, I guess. And so, you know, the, to say that you did that for 11 years, mm -hmm. right. And then transitioned into, um, like not <laughs> very far away from a ministry role. Right. Yeah. Um, in, in almost like corporate setting, um, I I'm curious to like how the the emotional aspect of it too. But before we get into all that, um, at the P, you say you work at the PGA Tour home store. Yeah, their home office. Home office, which is called the Store Support Center. Okay, um, it's it for lack of better terms, it's the corporate office for the retail shops of the PJ tour superstore. Okay. Because, um, oh man. Why is this um, like the most perfect job for you? That is so crazy. I don't know. You know <laughs> it's, it was one of those things, again, part of the affirmation process. Yeah. Um, kind of right place, right time. But again, I'm not a big coincidence type of guy. Um, it definitely, you know, it, it, you know, kudos to a friend named Gina, who's also been on the podcast. <laughs> been on the podcast. You're right. <laughs> I think her husband's been on the podcast as well, Edward. Yes, yes, correct. Yeah. Yes, okay. And so um, it was crazy. So I transitioned into a, a role there, you know, kind basically soon after my time um, at Four Points, mm -hmm. which, you know, wasn't the plan, wasn't the intention, but a lot of it, you know, a lot of it, it was kind of like, I didn't want to miss an opportunity. Yeah. Um and I felt like God was just kind of, you know, leading me there. And it sounds weird to say, uh, not to overly spiritualize it, but I look back on the process and I knew like if I took my three months now, I, would have, I wouldn't have been as productive as I had wanted to and, mm. and you know, so on and so forth. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it wasn't anything like ministry related. A few people have told me, no, it sounds like you're jaded with church, but truthfully, it, you know, it, it's hard for me to say that it was because mm. I didn't feel like it was, mm -hmm. it was just a few different, different things and perspectives that shifted for me um, that, you know, allowed for me to be free in making this choice. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely, you know, the ministry weight started to bear a little bit heavier, mm -hmm. you know, 
coming off of COVID, coming off of just a variety of different things. Sure. I felt like, you know, if it was ever going to be a time, this would be the time. Um, but then it was also humbling to know that, hey, I'm not, I'm not doing this because I feel like I have to or like God needs me to do it. It was one of those things where, you know, just through a few different conversations with my family, with my brother, with Mimi, obviously my wife, you know, it was one of those things where like, hey, you know, God didn't need me to be a pastor. It was, hey, can I can I process through this transition in a way that was healthy? And yeah, it was yeah. a way in which it was affirming to the church, affirming to, you know, my family and obviously myself. And uh, it's it's been one one emotional up and down sort of roller coaster ride that mm-hmm. some days I feel like, oh, this is the best decision. Other days I'm kind of like, you know, I wonder what ministry would be like. What does that look like now? And so at the end of the day, like it's, you know, and, and there is a little bit of vagueness because I want to, you know, keep a little bit of respect towards, you know, my church community and them understanding like, you know, the process yeah. that I have to make because um, it's, it's tough. You know, mm. um, actually, me and my wife started going back to the church just as regular attendees. And actually, oh, awesome. hugely, uh, hugely affirming as well, yeah. um, just in the whole process. You know, I honestly had to just sit back and be like, dude, it's not really a big deal. Mm. You know, and for me to think it'd be a big deal only shows kind of the hubris that I was kind of carrying or, you know, pride of thinking like, oh, I can't go back. Like it would it would you know, mess a bunch of stuff up. But in reality, it's like, come on, Andrew, I wasn't that big of a deal, you know? <laughs> so uh, a lot of humility in it, to be honest. So, Man. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I get what you're saying. It's not mm-hmm. a big deal. But at the same time, you know, like, um, it would be hard, I feel, to be so heavily invested in something. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of go back and yeah, it would be hard. I don't know how to. Don't get me wrong. Like it's definitely still tough because, you know, even when I sit back and I think about it, um, just kind of like I mentioned earlier, the story for me is like, I knew I was going to be a pastor. Like that was going to be the trajectory of my life. Started college knowing seminary and then starting church and, you know, led me to go to Chicago for seminary and undergrad. And then me and Mimi got married and we started Four Points here. Or she started Four Points. I came on staff in 2013 Mm -hmm. and have kind of helped support and grown the community to to kind of what it was kind of early part of January. Mm. And so, you know, I think anytime anyone ever puts that much time and effort and, you know, sweat equity and, you know, into anything, like it's going to be hard to remove yourself from that. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing for me, you know, kind of like what it means for me to grow up, especially in a ministry context, mm-hmm. kind of goes back to the thing like, you know, God didn't need me to be there, right? It wasn't like the church is actually, it's growing, right? Like there's far more different people. And I had to think of it as like, man, did I hold the church back from getting to a certain place or whatnot? Um, but it also it's just humbling to know like, hey, God's still going to invest and do what he does within the church. And, you know, as me and Mimi have kind of come back, like there are people who are newer to the church who's like, who's involved that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting and it's awesome to see that. And so part of my like growing up process has been like understanding, Hey, there's seasons and things there's, you know, 
God's plan is far bigger, but yet super intimate in my life because, you know, I get to be a part of something, but then also recognize, hey, there's other things that I can also be a part of, you know, based upon where I am at in my life and family and such. Right. Yeah. No, I'm I'm totally with you, but there are parts of me that I will admit that when you told me that you were going to leave ministry, I was disappointed because I feel like yeah, like you and Mimi have so much to offer in that area and are gifted and talented and um in so many ways, right? In in impacting this community in Atlanta in the capacity that you were before. Um, and you can still do that. I know that. Yeah. I know that. But at the same time, right, there's like yeah. this kind of a little bit removed, you know, yeah. if I'm yeah. honest. And so like I, um, as you know, my EM pastor recently transitioned out of ministry as well. Uh-huh. And so it was around the same time. And I was like, whoa, like <laughs> what uh-huh. is happening? What is happening? And um, I think um, for me, like even with my own, my own Ian pastor that transitioned out, um, it was hard for me to swallow because of like, uh, you know, I, I'd like to believe that those that step into ministry or go to seminary and do the work, like they do have calling over their lives. Right. And so I just, um, yeah, it was hard for me to completely understand, right. Like the workings of God in those moments, but, but I will say in, I think it, I can't speak for you, but I, I believe that it's true from what you're saying. Yeah. Um, in my position, oh, I've never said this in public, honestly. But <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a sacredness to podcasting. Speech. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So like, yeah, I think, um, and I'm sorry for the vocabulary if you don't understand my Christianese right now, but um, yeah, as he, as my old pastor obeyed the Holy Spirit and obeyed God in whatever way that he did, there has been like, blessing and favor like that I've witnessed right like testimonies coming out of that situation whether it's for his family or my church that I'm like I can't deny right like God is good and he does everything with purpose and I think I feel like that's what you're saying right now too oh absolutely there's a there's the redemptive quality of God that you know I think a lot of Christians believe in but I feel like for some pastors, it's harder to believe. And what I mean by that is, you know, the, the ministry is a tough industry, right? And, you know, some people may disagree in the way I describe it, but there are organizational characteristics about a career pastor, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And there are, you know, the best way that I put it is like, if you look at church as an industry and you put that side by side behind every other sort of you know, industry out there, mm-hmm. like being a pastor is incredibly tough. Mm-hmm. I think when you add the spiritual accountability and then, and then the calling of it, there's just, you know, for, for many of, for many people, it becomes too much, too much weight to bear. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's an excuse. And maybe it's my generation who's sort of too soft to be able to kind of handle that how to wait because the reality is there's no young pastors mm-hmm. out there anymore. Right. And I, and I, I will confess like when my friends started stepping away from ministry, I'm like, you know, I'm like, dude, I'm so happy for you, but it's kind of like another one bites the dust mm-hmm. Didn't handle it. 
you know, I get where they are. Mm. Now here I am on the other side of the line. And maybe there is a jadedness that comes out and speaks. And if it is like, I just may have to be honest with it, but it's, it's just, it just kind of bears so heavily Mm. to where I realized for myself earlier in the year, like I can still fulfill this calling over my life that God has put in the same sort of capacity as if I'm doing it, you know, outside of the pulpit. If sure. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because the career path for a pastor just hasn't just no longer, I feel like resembles a career path that many young people in their thirties are willing to now decide and choose. When you put that next to sort of the impact it has on both your life and family and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Right? yeah. And I, I'm, you know, for those who are in that, in that time, like mad props and huge respects to them. Like a lot of close friends of mine are still in pastor, like still in pastoral care and they're incredibly gifted in those things. And I love the fact that they're still in it. But for me at the beginning of the year, when I was looking at my family, when I was looking at, you know, the quote unquote career path, Mm-hmm. for myself and how that weighs in relation to my ability to certain to do God's work mm-hmm. even though God's work may look different I just you know I felt that freedom to be able to say you know what I can I can still do those do those things right yeah. Yeah. Um, the past six months have been tough because a lot of that to be honest has been on the back burner because mm-hmm. it's like you know like I said pod, if podcast is a safe place like I love a Sunday morning, just being able to kind of attend church or have the ability <laughs> to kind of do yeah. things, you know, like there's, yeah. there is being on the other side of the line, a little bit, um, some joy and, um, relief, if that makes sense. No, that's so good. I'm so like, it makes me so happy that. Yeah, and I'm sure your, your former EM pastor can kind of feel very similar. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like, being off the clock means being off the clock when in ministry, not always the case. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are elements of the ministry life that I do miss, right? Like is my work as fulfilling as what it was when I was doing, you know, pastoral ministry, like some days probably not, but other days, like I can, you know, I might be justifying it, but I would say like, yeah, I, I feel like I'm making certain impacts in life. Uh, but you know, there's there's a lot of balls that are sort of being juggled in the air right now when it comes to, you know, God's calling in my life and versus the next path and you know what does it look like to transition, especially out of ministry, but doing it in a way that I know that I can affirm the church community, right, or the pastoral. Mm-hmm. Because you know, I appreciate what you said about you know Mimi and I. Like, I still feel like there are things that I can offer to the church. Absolutely, yeah. There's some space that I might need, but I'm trying to envision like me and my, me and Mimi were talking like, hey, what does it look like next for us? Mm-hmm. And truthfully, it's like if my daughter wants to go to Four Points, like we're going to Four Points, but if she wakes up, it's like, hey, I want to go to a different one. I'm like, let's go to a different one. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like if she wants to go to church, that's a plus. Doesn't matter where right now, like it really doesn't. So, yeah, um, that's kind of where we're landed, but. Like I said, there's a lot there, you know, yeah. and I'm sure, you know, we can get into a, 
in a whole bunch of different ways. So like, okay, so let's talk about like, oh, actually before, mm-hmm. sorry, what are you like, so what are you doing right now? Like, what does your typical day look like for you? <laughs> oh, from, so that's, that's a good question. Um, so my current role is an operations program manager at the PGA Tour Superstore. Oh, wow. The way, no, it's not that fancy. And, then, <laughs> and so the way that I explain it is, so our store support center supports 54 stores across the country. Okay. And each store obviously has its own leadership team, general managers, assistant general managers. So there are teams who focus on merchandising, apparel, you know, the employees and, you know, all of those things. Uh-huh. I find my job to fill in some of those cracks, things that just kind of get pushed to people's like corner of their desk. And I just kind of help facilitate those communications and there are specific mm-hmm. programs that we run throughout the year um, that, you know, that are just kind of in between certain departments. And then, so I'll, I, you know, I'll work with a couple of different departments that we have just to ensure that that communication is clear mm-hmm. Um more so for the operations of side. So like more so working with the people and the employees and processes. Um, so it has nothing to do with clubs or clothes or anything like that, but it has everything to do with, you know, our associates and our employees. Wow. Um, yeah. Basically the last nine years of your life. <laughs> you know, it was funny. Because, I mean, it's, it's super interesting. And this is the big sort of affirmation process. Cause when it, this job sort of opened up, my friend Gina was like, Hey, you'd be a great fit for this operations role. Currently this person only focuses on logistics and travel and kind of just program management. Uh And I think you could bring a lot to the table. I was like, that's fantastic. You know, I'll apply. So I had an interview on a Thursday at one Uh that went for about like an hour. They called me back at like two 45 and was like, Hey, do you want the job? Can you start on Monday? And I was like, of course I can start the job. Of course I'm going to take this, you know? And so I actually, and that was, you know, that was pretty quick after my, my final Sunday at church. And I was like, I might need a little bit more time, but you know, there was some things that gave me a little bit more space, some rest. And so, um, yeah. So basically what ended up happening was just kind of managing a lot of programs and people, um, from a relational side more than anything. Right. And like you said, you know, the past nine years really helped equip me to be able to, um, you know, bring value to a company that I didn't think I could, which is crazy, you know, but uh, it was one of those things that was like a perfect fit. That's why, you know, I started so quickly after. Wow, that's amazing. I passed the opportunity up. Um, I mean, like, I just love stories like that because, um, I mean, honestly, that seems like a really affirmed transition by god right like yeah, sure. honestly like because it doesn't happen that like that for everybody no, no. <laughs> it's crazy because the past like few weeks i've been traveling and and one of my main roles on these business trips is just leading a strength finders session what is that so strength, strength finders, finders like a yeah, personality thing yeah you know like um what is it like you take an assessment to give you five strengths Okay. It's like a small white and red book. It's by a company called Clifton Gallup. You may have seen it. Strength Finders 2.0. Is okay. Okay. It. it sounds familiar. So, but. Yeah. So it's basically, it's like a assessment that pinpoints your top five strengths according to certain, you know, orientations that you might have as a leader. So it's oh. leadership development. 
right? I need that. <laughs> so for the past like three, four weeks, it's been about coming in front of, you know, our general managers, uh-huh. and just supporting them by helping them develop as leaders. Wow. You know? Like how can they better manage and lead their team? So that they themselves can lead others. Yes. Which is like in the church space is just discipleship. That's right? discipleship right there. So, you know, I was talking to my wife. I was like, you know, it feels like I'm kind of helping develop 54 small groups, you know, yes. like, like 54 small group leaders and their small groups and such. And that actually helped me pivot a little bit of my thought process and how to approach this. Mm. And, um, you know, because a lot of, you know, in the church space, we talk a lot about development and leadership and personalities and, and different things like that. But not many times in the corporate space do they give, you know, leaders the opportunity to like dive into this, you know, for themselves as a group, as like a, as a company. Right. And so, you know, that allows for me to stand in front of them and be like, hey, what are your five strengths? Like, how do you see that happening in your life? You know, so it, it really feels like, leadership development seminars that we would do in church, um, which is great because there's good responses. People, you know, find, you know, growth. And that's what I mean. There's some parts of my job that are very affirming and very meaningful because I get to kind of walk alongside some of these individuals who are learning things about themselves that, you know, 20 years in their career, they've never spent the time to, to do that. Yeah. And you get to sort of live those like aha moments they get to have. And those been, those have been incredibly you know, awesome to be a part of. So it's just trying to figure out like, what does that look like on a corporate scale? Okay. I can't like call them up and spend an hour with all of them, you know? Right, right, right. Or, like I can't fly to these places and like follow up and have coffee with them like we would do at church. Mm. But like, you know, it's just trying to figure out how to scale it on, a, on an organization but level. That is so exciting. Like I feel like that would be so exciting to do. Man, so cool. But like, um, okay, what's kind of exciting for me to hear about is how successful the transition has been um, Mm -hmm. and really encouraging. I feel like um, that's always the hardest part, right? I mean, you literally had a full life and career before you started this new one. Um, And I don't, you know, I don't know, you've only been doing it for six months, but I don't know. And I don't know where it's going to take you. Um, Or do you, do you have an idea? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be here forever. Okay. (laughs) Once they fire me, like I I don't, I can't necessarily see my, and part of it also is because, and I tell this to Mimi a lot, like, let's say I was working for Coca-Cola or Home Depot Uh or Delta even some of like the big companies here in Atlanta that a lot of people like working for, like I couldn't see myself being in those companies and, you know, focusing on like flights or Mm. home, you know, like it's, it's so much more fun because like I'm in golf, right? My job has to do with people. Right. So like I get to tickle the, the itch of hobbies but still find like the fulfillment and joy and working with people and, and planning and logistics and stuff like that and operations. Cause that was one of the things I feel like I was pretty good at when it came to church, like making sure, you know, we could plan a retreat or do all those things. Like those are sort of second nature to me. Yeah. Um, so to be able to still do that, but also have fun in the sense of like, you know, we get a discount or, (laughs) you know, we're having to figure out how to, make sure, you know, a very exclusive putter is coming out. So like 
how do we make sure like everyone's fair, you know, and just like being around those sort of conversations. Because for me, like I'm a cust- I was a customer there for so long. Right, you know? right. Um, and so now being on the other side of it, like, you know, I don't think anybody who's there listens to this, but like, you know, I'm there, I'm there as long as they'll have me. (laughs) I'm Um, sure they'll have you for a long time, but okay. So sidebar, just a quick sidebar, um, is PGA Superstore owned by Arthur Blank? It is. Yep. Oh, so that's why Gina got you this job or. Yes. Oh, so Gina, no, Gina works for the PGA Tour Superstore. Um, so for, for those people who are listening or interested, Arthur Blake, who owns the Atlanta Falcons, he owns the Atlanta United. He also built Mercedes-Benz yes. right, Stadium. And there's a few other businesses that he owns under his Arthur Blake family umbrella. of business. <laughs> yeah, over the big umbrella. PGA Tour Superstore is one of those businesses in that uh, umbrella. Okay. So he was an investor a few years ago when they were struggling and he came in and and he ended up taking it over. I see, um, I see. Yeah, so for the longest time, people thought Home Depot owned uh, PJ Tour Superstore, but they, but Arthur Blank, who used to be with Home Depot, no. he, he's owner of that. Gotcha, right? gotcha. So, okay. Like I said, like there are benefits, like free Falcons tickets and free United tickets and stuff and concerts and you know. So there's a lot of that sounds like, worth things it. that are <laughs> that are you know, that allow for me to have fun with it, uh-huh. but still like. You know, I'm not data entering, you know, I'm not doing data entry. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's been, that's been the most affirming part of this. No, truly, truly. I'm like, really, I'm not exaggerating. I'm actually really in shock. Like how, how perfectly aligned it was and the timing of it all. Um, But like, I do want to talk about like, um, even though it was kind of an easier transition for yeah. you, um, the initial kind of like, sure, it's ministry, but with anything, you know, like I mentioned before, like you, so much investment was made. You yeah. had a whole career before this one, like to just kind of lay it down and be like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to take a break and see what happens. Like, what was that process for you? Because I feel like that's really scary. Even for yeah, people listening, absolutely. maybe they're like, hey, I, I haven't been doing it for 12 years, but I've been doing it for five. And it's scary for me to think about dropping everything. Sorry for the vocabulary. but, huh. dro- <laughs> but And like moving on to something else or not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Like, what would you say to them? You know, it for me, it took it took a lot of conversations, right? Mm. Like probably at the beginning of November. Like if I look back on the entire process, one of the things that sparked it was I had a I had a moment within the ministry that really kind of shook me pretty pretty bad. Okay, and I was like, dude, why is this? Why can't I shake this this situation? Mm. Right? I had a, I had a really tough conversation with with uh, somebody at church and it just, I just couldn't shake it. Mm. And then what ended up happening is that started to affect uh, my relationship with my daughter. Like I was very short tempered. I was very just like, I blew up at her. And then it was one of those things where Mimi was like, listen, like what is going on? And I was like, I have no idea. Mm. And so I was so imbalanced when it came to my emotional health and a bunch of different things that I actually started to see a therapist in in November just to kind of help me organize sort of these conversations and like, mm-hmm. Hey, what's going on? Um, you know, what is happening? And, you know, and that kind of led to this, to this 
uh, I don't want to say frustration, but like I started to feel like I was grinding away at ministry, mm-hmm. right? Like just grinding away at, at, at my job. And then I was like, well, this was never my intentions, right? Like, I don't think it was as um, joyful for their, our community for me to sort of be half, you know, half there, if that makes sense. And so I started thinking seeing a therapist really helped me process through a lot of things. Mm. And then what happened at the end of the year was there was COVID. Well, me and my wife caught COVID right at the end of the year. And so that that kind of made us stay home for, for a prolonged period of time. So I had to stay away from the church for a prolonged period of time and just kind of do my things, um, you know, at home and remote or, or so on and so forth. And then the next week that I came back, I was actually serving in our children ministry. So it was like really detached from the community again. And then the following week, I believe it was, um, you know, there was like a big storm during MLK that we as a church sort of decided like, Hey, you know, we probably aren't going to have in-person service. A snowstorm. Yeah, snowstorm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was just so much time that passed by where it was just like, man, I don't, I don't know, you know, not being away from the church really kind of refreshed my soul. Yeah. But not in a way where it was just like, okay, I'm ready to get back there. But it was just like, man, being this far away, you know, I, what does my life look like with, with it not being, not being there right Mm -hmm. on the ministry side? And which prompted me to sort of have conversations with both Mimi, you know, I kind of started with the like closest person in my life, which was my wife. Then I talked to my brother. Mm-hmm. We talked for like two hours on the phone and we rarely, I mean, we may not even talk for two hours in person. <laughs> you know, like, so we were on the phone. Actually, we had like two or three different phone calls. So I was talking mm-hmm. to him, just helping me process through that, you know, talk to my therapist, mm-hmm. you know, talk to my parents and it really was my conversation with my parents where I was like, you know, I'm thinking about leaving ministry. You know, I hope, and I literally said this, I was like, I hope you can forgive me. Mm-hmm. And then my mom was just like, why on earth would you say that? And I was just like, because I thought you'd be disappointed. And she was like, that's the furthest from the truth. Right. Mm-hmm. And we had to work through a bunch of different things to where I left that conversation feeling like that much more weight off of my shoulders yeah. And then what ended up happening was my conversation with my senior pastor was not a, if I was going to step down, it was more so like, Hey, when will I, when will I step back or when will I step down from the church? Right. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, metaphorically saying not metaphor, like literally I went from, Hey, I'm thinking about resigning to printing out my resignation letter. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, looking back on it, you know, one of the things that I feel like I may, I could have have done differently was possibly talking to him, you know, early on, mm-hmm. but you know, like, you know, like I mentioned to him, I told a few other people this, I was like, you know, I had to start with the people who were closest to me, mm-hmm. you know, it was my brother, my family, my mm-hmm. wife, mm-hmm. you know, kind of my therapist kind of who was helping me process through all these things. And then by the time I got to sort of that exterior layer, there was a, there was a point where I was just like, you know, there's so much more peace here. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me and me and Pastor Peter are still, you know, we're still good. There wasn't mm-hmm. any sort of animosity. Obviously, me and him working together for nine years, there was some, there was definitely some shock there, which, you know, part of me wishes I, you know, I could have hedged that a little bit differently. But like I said, the process led me to sort of have this, this con- internal conversation, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of going, and that's a long winded way to sort of answer your question. And, and the, the reason why I say that is because when I realized when it comes to career shift for me, I had to detach this personal 
identity aspect of it. Yes. So I was, you know, I wasn't Andrew who was a pastor. Like there was so much a part of me that was like, I'm a pastor and I can't be anything else. Mm. And one of the, I think one of the golden nuggets that I took away from my therapy that like, I was like worth of every dollar that I spent was being able to say the words just like, man, I don't have to be a pastor. Mm. And then, you know, my, he was there. I remember distinctly being in that room when I said it, like I, and he even told me, he was like, after you said it, it felt like your shoulders just kind of like, like rolled back, mm. you know? And there was just this, ease and weight kind of being taken off of this this pressure of feeling like hey this is the only thing i have to do like this is the thing i have to do right yeah um and you know i'm not naive to believe that i had the flexibility to switch careers right like going into a place of unknown i know there's a lot of people who don't have that luxury but for me it was one of those things where you know mimi was very supportive. And she was just like, listen, like we'll figure it out. Mm. And that to me was just like, all right, let me go down this journey. Cause if she was very uneasy about it, both financially and for our family, then it would obviously be a different conversation I would have had. But she was like, Hey, you know, like I'm supportive of you. I understand like, you know, what this process is going to look like. Mm We don't know what the next step is. And I think that's where our faith really came in. We felt like, you know what, God, like, I'm going to go down this path and I don't know if it's the right one, but I'm going to trust you're going to steer me one way or another. Mm -hmm. And it was literally a dinner where a friend, Gina, was like, listen, this job's coming up. Would you, like she, that, my predecessor didn't even leave yet. (laughs) And like my first day was her last day. Oh my gosh. So it was literally like, you know, best case scenario for me, yeah. best case scenario for, for the company, because you know, there was a lot that she was doing that I really kind of had to jump into. And so, you know, to anyone I would say who's look, who's listening, who's like in the middle of a, a career path, like, I would say like, trust your instinct, right? Mm-hmm. Trust like the core of who you are. Mm-hmm. And if that's one of those things that, you know, you haven't ever had to do, and find some guidance, you know, find a counselor, find somebody that you trust, not the person who's going to tell you what you want to hear, but like somebody who can sit down and be like, this job is ruining your life. Or, hey, I think this is just a season where you just kind of have to grow and evolve from, you know, or it might be one of those conversations of like, you know, you've been talking about a career path and you just need to, you know, do it, take the risk. And, you know, if, if they're of a faith, trusting that God can redeem those things. Right. And like I said, especially when it comes to church, like there was a redemptive quality about God that has surfaced so much here that I feel like my relationship with him has actually grown mm-hmm. and has deepened because now it's given me a bigger perspective of what does the church look like? And that's a different conversation, right? Like what does ministry look like for the next 20 years? Yeah. Right. So when, the current senior pastor community, like when they get too old and when there's the, you know, 30 something pastors who are going to be taking on that, that baton, like what will the church look like then? Mm. Right. Is there a space for somebody like me to continue to serve in a ministry capacity while, you know, still enjoying this? Can we pivot and evolve in a way in which young people who love the Lord can serve in a pastoral component right without without the weight and the 
I don't want to say sacrifice because every job comes with a sacrifice, but like without the extra stuff that makes being a pastor so unattractive, if that makes sense. Interesting. Right? And, you know. This is another conversation. Yeah, I mean. That I'd I'm, love to I've, have with you. But. It's one of those things where I understand like it's a hard conversation for me to have because yeah. so many of my friends are still in ministry. And so it's easy for me to get out of, you know, be out of the space mm-hmm. and poke holes and be like, Hey, these are the things that, <laughs> you know, like, and I understand like change all, you know, change can happen from both in and out, but you know, from where I'm, from my perspective and my thought, like, you know, there's, is there a space to be innovative, you know, in a fundamental way? So I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Mm. Right. And I'm not trying to undercut any of the, current ministries out there, right? Like I think churches are needed now more than ever, right? Mm-hmm. But can we have a converse can we have an honest conversation about what does the next 15 years look like? Right. right. What is the legacy of of you know the Asian American church? Right. But like I said, that that might open up a huge box that I want to open up. Um and I don't know if that's like you know, for episode 220, when it's just like, oh, guess what? I'm back, you know, like in mystery. But um, I have I have no idea what that looks like. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, like, okay. So definitely I've had this conversation with some people. And um, they're, for whatever reason, no, it's not for whatever. My personality and just my ability to, like, like, I feel like you and several other pastors I know, like the way that you guys ministered and pastored, you guys were able to do that because you are visionaries, right? And mm-hmm. I I just like have a hard time yeah. like looking to the future yeah. in that way. Um, so I, I like I don't know how to dialogue sometimes when it comes sure. to this. Yeah. Um, unless like I'm given some like tidbits and like ideas and I'm like, oh, okay, I can see this happening, expanding, yeah, yeah. but everything you're saying right now. And especially what you were saying before about, um, yeah, like what, what is it going to look like? Like for yeah. the younger generation, are they going to need pastoral roles or are they going to like, can we, can we just kind of yeah. rise up, you know? Um, that's really interesting because I, I, I don't know. Like that's, that's the beauty of it. I think, Yeah. I think for so long, you know, and I can only speak about my 36 years in existence, like churches looked a certain way. Right. Sure. But if, you know, and if you look at, I mean, if you look at industries across the board, right. And I don't think, I don't think we can look at churches. And I think this was one of the huge blessings of being in a corporate space Uh and it brings back to the church in the sense of like, when you look at re- when you look at just, I think thriving industries of, you know, people and, and whatever it is, like you can generally gauge on where they're headed towards mm-hmm. or how they're going to pivot in ways in which they'll be impactful for the next 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the church, I feel like some of the difficulties or some of not even having the ability or the space to talk about it mm. is like, what will the church look like in 15, 20 years? What are things that we can do now to help prepare that? Yes. You know, without without like destroy. I'm not talking about destroy the church. I'm not saying like, let's destroy everything about it and rebuild it. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm not, I don't believe that to be the case, mm-hmm. but 
with everything that has happened for the past three or four years, when you're looking at like the future of leaders, right? And you're looking at like what's happening. And this is strictly only in American church or like Western church, right? Things around the world. Like I don't have privy to the amazing things that are happening. And a friends of mine have told me like, this is, this is truly an American church problem, which mm-hmm. I get. Um, but like, what is, like, what does that look like? What can we do for, and, and for me, it's because my daughter is three and a half, mm-hmm. right? If she's 10, 15 years, she's going to be 18 going into 20. Yeah. If I'm going to be completely honest, like, do I think the current church is built for her when she's 18? I want to say yes. I really, really want to say yes. But I don't, like, we just don't know. Mm. Because who's going to be leading that church then, right? Like, all of my pastoral mentors will be far too old. And if they're still there in 15 to 18 years, like, will they really, like, can we really trust their perspective in the world based upon where the world will be? You know, so, again, I have no idea. And, Mm. you know... I don't know if that's part of my story or whatnot, but it's definitely something that has, I find myself having more of that conversation more so now. And part of it is because I have the freedom and the ability to do that. Right. Like there isn't the sort of accountability of the church that I'm pastoring currently. Right. And so there's no accountability to that. So I can, you know, I can play in the sandbox as much as I want without, you know, finding myself, being problematic for my interesting right i don't know i don't know if ministry is a done deal for you yet no and i told this to mimi i was like (laughs) whenever we have these conversations like i'm like hey listen we have to stop talking about it (laughs) conversation will lead to well why don't we do something you know or like yeah why don't we you know figure out how to do it and that's why i literally always tell me i was like we have to just stop talking right now (laughs) right because out in the world, like it's, we're that held, so I, I feel accountable to the things that you know we kind Which of. To the good there, characteristic so. to have. Yeah, yeah I, get it. I get it. But um, hey, so I want to um, kind of go back to what you mentioned mm-hmm. before, and it, only because I feel like it is a struggle uh, with a lot of young people today, including myself. But I'm curious to what you think too, because as you were talking about it, I'm like, oh, is this a cultural thing? Like, mm-hmm. is it an Asian American thing? And what I want to talk about is you're talking about like your career and your identity, yeah. like being one. And like, that's just who, like you have to separate that. Like you're not, you're Andrew, you're not Pastor Andrew. Yeah. Um, necessarily right and even myself right like I think uh, motherhood has done that to me right like before even my role whether it's a ice skating coach or a um, or a minister at church like I everything stopped when I got pregnant Mm -hmm. and there was this like weird like overwhelming sense of purposelessness like you know and like Um, I, but then I know that's not true. And I know that being a mom in itself is something different. And, uh, I've, you know, in the last five years had to learn what it means to find identity, not just in the things that I do. Right. But like, yeah, I mean, what do you you think now that I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, maybe our parents always taught us to strive and to work and to be something. So do you think that's a American? American thing, a Korean thing, a cultural thing? What do you think? I think it has to be a combination of 
you know, and this is the easy answer, like all of that, right? Yeah. But definitely, I think our cultural background plays a significant role mm. in that, you know, a lot of people, you know, our age have gone through the journey of finding themselves in a career path and success, for lack of better terms. And some of us have been incredibly lucky, maybe not lucky, but incredibly diligent in finding that and being able to balance that well. Mm. And others may find them still, still searching for that, mm-hmm. right? Or... Mm-hmm. Or being able to fulfill the identity sense, um, what is it? Being able to fulfill the identity aspect of their career, you know, in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then there's the unique people who've been able to just be, you know, what this is what I want to do, and I'm going to make it. I'm going to make that happen, right? Mm-hmm. And generally, you know, you see that with a lot of the creatives in the Asian American space, right? Sure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no first gen parent is going to be like, oh, I want them to, you know, go and be in media or, you know, be a YouTuber, a YouTuber, <laughs> or you know, or, or anything like that, you know. But you know, some of our friends, I think some of our mutual friends, have been able to find such success and yeah. purpose. But, you know, that journey is not easy no. at the end of the day, right? And and I don't want to say it's true just for Asian Americans, but I think there is a sense of accomplishment that we have to hit mm-hmm. before we have the freedom to do the things that we want to do, mm-hmm. right? Maybe it's, you know, I'll have, you know, I'll be able to buy my own house and find a career that's well-paying. And now when I have the luxury and flexibility to be more risky with my career path, like I can do that, you know, but then I also know like being in 2022, like there's a lot of opportunity to be able to, you know, look at culture and be like, I am successful, even though it may not be, you know, your typical definition of success. Yeah. And, you know, and for me, it was a lot of it was when those two things clashed, mm-hmm. when identity and career clashed mm-hmm. is when I realized I like, go, oh, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Mm-hmm. Right. And that kind of led me into whole, like my relationship with my parents, my relationship with my brother, you know, and, and again, therapy did a lot for me to be able to figure that part out for yeah. myself. Yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, yes, it does have a lot to do with our background. Yeah. But then, you know, I, would say like that gave me a lot of my identity as well. Right. Right. No, no, it's not all negative. It's not an entirely negative thing. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe sometimes when it comes to me being a dad for, for instance, right. Like I know I'm a dad, but because of the transition, I know like this isn't my entire life. Right. Like I owe it to my daughter to be more than just her dad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the same thing I think my wife tries to do and, and we just try to balance and that's not the same case for everyone. Mm. But one of the things that I've been able to see is life being far more fulfilling mm-hmm. because I get to look beyond sort of the lowest hanging fruit, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like if I cling to me being a dad because that's the most important thing in my life, there's going to be a day where I know my daughter's not going to need me as her dad, right? Like, and I don't want to have to deal with that identity crisis then. Because who knows where I'm going to be in life. But to be able to say, you know what? Like she's the most important thing in my life right now for sure. But that doesn't sort of define my life at at this juncture. If that makes sense, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm like speaking to me right now. (laughs) I'm not like, 
and I've, you know, people ask me, it's like, oh, you know, fatherhood and other things. And the one thing I always pick up is when I'm, when I look at my daughter, like I'm trying to see, I'm trying to raise her to be a 30 year old, right? Mm-hmm. Like, where do I want to see her as a 30 year old, mm-hmm. as opposed to just making sure she's like the best four year old currently, mm-hmm. because I know that when she's 30, she won't need me as a dad, mm-hmm. you know, she'll probably, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, she's on a career path where it's just as fulfilling and mm-hmm. I can support that. But, mm-hmm. you know, we have the luxury of being able to continue on our own career because of luxuries that our parents afforded us to have, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that it's so different, you know, and I think it's a unique time for our generation to be able to figure out what yes. it's like. If that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I I feel the same way. Like what a luxury it is that I can struggle with my identity and and not being, you know, attached to a career because, yeah, it truly is like it's a luxury and um, I'm grateful for it. But, you know, um, sorry, I I feel like I've been keeping you a long time. I love this. I get this all day. Okay. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Um, So like. Uh, I guess, okay, do you have any advice, like, yeah. for people, right? Because we haven't really talked much about your job, job, like, yeah. your current yeah. job, but at the same time, um, it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. So let me give you a run. So basically, in my job, we have a growing company that, so currently, we have 54 stores across the country. Okay. They want to get to 80 stores in the next three years. And so golf is growing and it's an industry that a lot more people are getting into. Mm-hmm. And so we want to obviously be the number one, you know, retailer and provider of apparel and clubs and, and maintain sort of being the tip of the spear when it comes to those things. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for my job, what I, what I hope or what I see as being my role is to help facilitate again, communication with stores, um, but not, from a merchandising perspective, but like with people. Right. Because at the end of the day, each store has anywhere from 40 to 50 employees. Mm-hmm. And similarly to a church, like you want them to develop, you want their career paths a certain way. And you and for me, like I envision somebody who's looking to grow their career in the PGA Tour Superstore, like how do I assist in that process for mm-hmm. them? Mm-hmm. And I know it starts with you know developing a higher caliber leader, um, and working with our operations and our managers to be able to provide, um, you know, support in whatever way that we can. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. you know, it's interesting when I interviewed for the job, they're saying like, Hey, you may have to manage over 2000 employees. And I'm like, dude, that's, that's hyperbole. That's just what everyone says. But in reality is like when I go and visit other stores, even if I'm like in a different city, I'm like, Oh, I want to go see the PGA store there uh-huh. just to see who's working. Like I feel compelled to like know everybody's name, you know? And maybe that's the pastoral side of me. Like, obviously I'm not going to learn 2000 names, but knowing the support and the role that I have as, you know, and maybe I'm overthinking, you know, kind of my job here, but you know, I know that sort of my work will, help their experience and their abilities to grow, um, you know, and then better help them do their job so that obviously the better they can do their job, the more opportunities that they're going to have within the company and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, I like, I know I keep repeating the same things over and over again, but I just really can't 
can't get over the fact um, that like because we are people of faith is I'm yeah. using God, but um, yeah, like how God has just set up this transition for you awesome. because like. I, I mean, I remember when I first met you yeah. and like right off the bat, you were an extreme extrovert yeah. people person and you just go all in from day one, I yeah. feel like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like we had just met, even though we were acquainted just through sure. other people, mutual friends. I like, know, yeah, I, I felt like I knew you for years. Yeah. And I, I, I saved her life too. Side oh, note. God. She passed out in the sun because she's anemic. I don't know if that's public knowledge, but I don't know if you still are struggling with that. No, but, I'm not. I'm not. I'm better uh, now. <laughs> when she was younger, for this is for your listeners, when you were younger, you struggled with anemia, correct? Correct. correct. And we were at a retreat and we were walking up a hill and it was hot because it was in Southern California and you literally passed out. And you know what's so funny? Like yeah. you mentioned this when we met up yeah. last time. And I completely forgot about it. <laughs> never forget. I'll never forget. Because that's the first time I've ever seen anybody pass out. Like, I just, like, I just passed out? Yeah. Like, we were walking. You're like, oh, you know, I don't feel good. And then you kind of sat down. And then all of a sudden, your head just rolls back. And I'm, like, holding you. And I'm just kind of, like, what is happening? Because, again, like you said, we were acquaintances. I think we had some mutual friends or something yeah. like that. We are both sort of volunteering at this retreat. And then... And then I think I had to, I had a radio in California, by the way, which is so great. Blair just passed out. I think we need some help. And then I remember having to, if nobody's ever picked up a like dead weight, I don't know. I don't remember. You weren't a heavy person back then, but like a dead weight, like nothing, like that's heavy. And so, I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) I I think I was 20 years old. I think I was 20 and you had me. I mean, I was 18 probably. And it was just like, yeah, I saved her life because she would have just laid there in the sun. Yeah, you did. You saved my life. And then I woke up. I do remember, I recall waking up and there were several people like standing over me. Exactly. Yeah. Because they were like, I wonder what's going to happen. And I think you drank a whole, like a half thing of Pedialyte. um, Just to kind of get me just rehydrated and so crazy sorry to derail you from no yeah no no it's fine but all i all that to say he's a people person and if you ever you are in a situation where your life is in danger he will be there to help you i'm the one i'm the one i can i'll be there um well but anyways what i was going to say before you Uh interrupted um was um Yes, it's incredible how God has set up your life because I know that you are a people person. But um, I, oh man, what was I going to say? I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. You were gassing me up too. But then I, I was, was like, I can't, I can't let that, I can't I let this moment pass. But, you know, I, I look back on it and I recognize, man, God's hand was for sure in that, right? Yes. But I do understand like, like, it, I don't want to say it could have been anything. Like, that's not what I'm saying. It's like, yes, I love the fact that it's at the PGA Tour Superstore. And I love because it's golf and people and so on and so forth. But I think there was a time in that time of my life, there was such clarity for me to say, like, you know what? Like, I know where I'm headed towards. I don't know what it's going to be, but it, there's a lot of peace there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because of that peace, I think it allowed for me to recognize you know, the situation I'm in really was something that I loved. Yeah. Okay. I remember what I was going to say. 
Sorry. Okay. So like what I was going to say was the setup, right? Like you just never know. And I just, I just feel like it would be, um, like we have to talk about the fact that everything in your life, Mm -hmm. whether you feel like it's purposeless or purposeful or not, like, I feel like your life right now currently is an example of you just never know, right? Like, yeah. Your pastoral care experience has led you to the dream job, really, for you currently yeah. in corporate world. And yeah. you had, and I, my life is very similar. You know, I, as a figure skater, I had no idea. I thought it was like just like horrible the way my career ended. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, because of my experience, because of what I studied in college, is why right out of college I landed mm-hmm. a job, you know, doing sports television because of that, right? But I, I, I would never at 23 have imagined yeah. that would have what sure. would have happened, right? And so, um, but you know, I hope this is an encouragement to people listening that maybe you feel like like what does the future hold and i hope that um andrew's story my story and all really all of the stories that have been on the podcast can be um just almost proof like proof that that there is purpose in everything even if andrew's life didn't transition the way that it did i we'd have to believe that even that was with purpose and so um with that being said andrew do you have any life advice other than all the pieces of advice that you've given so far i really i really liked what you said about um like talking to people around you about Mm -hmm. a decision people that you trust that that are close to you Mm -hmm. um i think a lot of people fail to do that honestly yeah. Um, because uh, I, I don't know. I think I would. It would be hard for me, honestly, yeah. because I think I have this idea of, well, I know it's my life, yeah, my yeah. pride and stuff. But um, that was really good. That's really good advice. But do you have any other kind of advice? I think um, if you are in a situation where you're looking to transition, like make a massive transition career wise, mm-hmm. like I'd highly suggest seeing a counselor to just Mm -hmm. help organize some of the emotions, right? Especially as Asian Americans, like we're so intimately connected to making the right choice, especially when it comes to our careers. Like I hate, I'd hate for that to be, um, or like having unorganized emotions. I'd hate for that to be the reason why you may or may not make a choice that could be incredibly fulfilled. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like I remember having a conversation with a young person way back when, and just kind of asking him, like, Hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm like, when you get out of college. And I remember that individual was just like, you know, I've been, you know, I really want to get into media. I really want to kind of, you know, become an actor or, and talking a lot about the space where it was just like, you know, for a lot of Asian Americans, like we're not aspiring to do that. Right. We're not going to say, I want to be a thespian or I want to be, you know, truly want to go and be a musician or anything like that. And for whatever reason, I was like, listen, you know, if you want to do it, like, what do you need to do to get there? Mm. Right. And I'm not saying like, I'm the reason behind that. I I say that to myself, but I'll never say that to them. But like recognizing and watching the grind Mm. and just being a bit of being there to be able to, what's the word, like bounce conversations and more so emotions, like, 
I think that goes such a long way mm. because whatever decision people will end up, whether you're staying or leaving, like you do so with such peace that it really helps you see the clarity behind, you know, whatever the next step is. Right. And, yeah. and obviously for me, my transition, I look at my like transition from going into pastor and to, and going into sort of this corporate retail space, like people would be like, Oh, it's a big transition. But like you had said, like, I can see where the breadcrumbs are for lack of better terms. Right. I don't want to assume everybody is of faith, but you know, if you're on the fence, like, man, I, I can't deny God wasn't a part of that. Mm-hmm. And I look at now the conversation that I have with, with my friends who are leading EMs and be like, what we were taught to tell people on like, what does it mean to like live out your faith in a workplace? Like was the worst advice I think we could have given people mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, because like I'm now like in a space where I'm working like in a quote unquote secular space. Yeah. And I'm like, man, some of the advice that I gave like other peers, like, dude, you, this could never happen. You know, this could never work or, you know, other things like that. And, and so it's interesting because I still, you know, ministry is not a job that I put behind me, right? but there's definitely, you know, God will open up those spaces. And that's the uniqueness of being a pastor. Like you can, you can be a pastor in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, for like my only, I guess, last advice would be, you know, if you're looking at transitions or if you're looking at a different career path or you're looking at, Hey, where should I start my career like man talk with somebody to help organize some of those questions and again not like your best friend who's going to tell you what you want to hear but like maybe it's that person that you know you don't like talking to because they're too honest and sometimes that just kind of helps helps all of us have a broader perspective that becomes more beneficial than doing what might feel like to be the most comfortable thing so yeah Again, I don't think that's anything, you know, breathtakingly new, but for me, that was exactly what helped me continue my career, if that makes sense. Obviously doing different things, but found myself in a situation where I'm still utilizing the giftings God's blessed me with and still allowed for me to be in a position to be a part of ministry in a different capacity. Yeah, no, I think um, a lot of what this podcast does for people, including myself, honestly, is when people come on and kind of give like permission, you know, like, and um, I think, uh, thankfully, uh, these days, a lot of Asian Americans are exploring mental health opportunities, right, and seeking professional help. And um, man, what a... (laughs) What a privilege that is, honestly, because like I feel like, um, again, you know, growing up, at least our generation, we weren't taught to like talk freely and extrovertedly process Mm -hmm. whatever it is we're feeling and thinking in a way that um, other than like with your friends, I guess, but like. Getting someone that can has the tools, like the equipping to yeah. help you process and really come to a conclusion that that is healthy. And you can come to a place where, yeah, you are passionate about something. And sure. um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate the permission that you just gave to all of us mm-hmm. to really be okay with transition. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes... Sometimes you may, we may have just been in the same place for too long, right? 
but you know, I'm not saying that we're all having to transition, right? And no. it's really your own story, and mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that when you know you're in the right spot, like you feel like you're in the right spot, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. trusting that instinct. But it's still so scary. But yes, <laughs> it's scary. If it's not scary, then it's, I don't think it's worth. I don't think oh it's worth gosh. It, right? oh, so. gosh. Um, well, Andrew, I always ask people the same question. Would you be willing um, to chat with somebody that maybe has questions about your story or even just like transition or anything? Maybe even, I don't know, working at the PG store. <laughs> 100%. 100%. If you are in corporate retail, well, professionally speaking, if you are in corporate retail um, or if you are looking for a different job, like I know our company is looking for a higher caliber talented people yes. marketing you know merchandising all of that um you do have to you do have to move to atlanta though right but it's not too bad it's not too bad yeah. here. No, it's uh, great here but yeah on the other on the other side like i'm always willing to have these conversations and to talk through kind of whatever mm-hmm. really at the end of the day and so um um, you know, I don't know if you put my contact on there, but you can and post whatever. Um, I'd love to just chat and help in any way that I can. Thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah, you guys, I can truly attest to Andrew being um, somebody that you can talk to, relate with, and uh, really feel comfortable just chatting about anything. Um, he is, uh, I'm not just saying this, I truly mean it. Um him and his wife and their family truly is a family to, uh, yeah, look up to. Um, I feel like they have a lot to offer um, and such great, they've really experienced life in a way that is deeper than most. Um, and you can hear about Mimi and Andrew's story more on Mimi's podcast. They've actually have their own pos- pod- podcast. Well, we called- don't. We had one. We don't. No, but it still exists. It's out there. It's still out there. It's still out there. Growing families, right? It is. It was. It's called the Growing Family Podcast, and it's. We talked about doing it again. Um, You should. You should do it again. Because I also know you went on David Shin's podcast and said you were going to do it again. (laughs) I, you know, there was a lot. There was a lot going on when I went on his podcast to talk through it and stuff like that, but. it's it's in the works. It's it's one of those things where, you know, kind of talking through the transition stuff, like, you know, it adds just a lot more meaning and yeah. Know, I love doing this. But yeah. You know, Blair, I appreciate your your kind words, truly. Like it's you know, I'm I'm humbled and thankful that, you know, whatever more so Mimi and, you know, my brother and family, like whatever impact that we can make, you know, it's one of those things that I'm glad that we get to be a part of. Um, but again, like we love doing it with people, you know, um, like I said, I'm always open to talking, you know, Blair actually, actually she has 107 other people (laughs) rather you talk to before me, but it's cool. That's the last time I'll bring that up, but, um, no, it's, it's awesome. Thank you for the opportunity to, to share. And I know that, you know, hopefully this trend, there's no more transitions in my life, but if there is. You'll be the first to know. I can't wait. And yeah. we will um we'll have a part two with Andrew Song for sure. <laughs> yeah, two three hundred maybe, <laughs> something like that. Well you guys, um feel free to reach out. You can DM me on social media or you can email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, y'all. Until next time. Bye. Thanks, Andrew. Bye, thank you. Bye.